0: On this week's NFE SD Reality Check, we'll talk with Procero Networks about some of the key challenges facing NFE deployments.
1: Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. TelecomCareers.com
0: Thanks for joining us on this week's NFV and Reality Check. I'm your host, Dan Meyer, Editor-in-Chief at RCR Wireless News. This week, we are joined by Mike Kay, who's the VP of Business Development at Procero Networks, to talk a bit about uh, some of the challenges facing NFV deployments here uh, as the as telecom market kind of moves towards this new virtualized uh, future. Hey, Mike, thanks, thanks for joining us today. We, we appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for having me today.
0: Great, great. Well obviously now this topic here, uh, when it comes to challenges in NFV, that's something we, we talk about here a lot on, on the show. So we figured it'd be great to get some insight from you guys on that topic. There. I know you guys spoke recently at an Intel Developers Forum about that as well, so we figured we'd get some great insight from you guys on that. But, but before we jump into that, maybe for those who don't know much about Procera, if you can give us, I guess, a little a little background on the company, maybe how you guys uh, participate in the space, how you guys work with operators in terms of uh, NFV and SDN and virtualization.
1: Sure, absolutely. So. Our customers are the operators, fixed, cable, mobile, Wi-Fi operators, and they'll leverage our technology as intelligence and control systems that'll usually be deployed within the core of the operator's infrastructure. And they'll use that for the purpose of either providing differentiated services for their subscribers or for the purpose of providing advanced traffic steering, advanced traffic management, or congestion management. So for the operators, it's really all about being able to create some level of differentiation and some level of quality of experience for their subscribers, regardless of whether they're fixed or they're in a mobile environment. And so what our technology really does is it gives them that discrete granular visibility into the behavior of their subscribers and then allows them from there to set and control policies and even enforce those policies in real time. So our customers are scattered across the globe. We have over 40 tier one operators deployed across 81 countries.
0: Very good, very good. Obviously, that's a market that seems to be growing. I mean, obviously, uh, consumer demand for data services, especially on the mobile side and obviously on the fixed side too, uh, it's not going down. And so obviously, uh, the the need to kind of control that network traffic is is a big part of these operators. So obviously, I'm sure you guys are pretty busy nowadays with uh, keeping keeping up with that. So,
1: So should be Absolutely.
0: Yeah, great. Well, now, I guess let's talk a bit about the the NFC, the virtualization uh, side of things too. Now, obviously, like I was was saying earlier, I know recently you guys gave a presentation at the Intel Developers Forum. (laughs) Kind of about some of the challenges facing NFV, and like you mentioned also, that's a topic that we cover a lot here on the show, and obviously uh, the telecom space is getting pretty deep into this move towards virtualization, NFV and SDN and cloud and things like that. Uh, It's really changing the way operators look at their networks and how they control their networks. Uh, But again, there are a lot of challenges involved in this as well, so I don't know if you can maybe touch on a few of the topics that you guys discussed at the Intel forum, Uh, kind of what you guys see as being maybe some of these bigger challenges facing telecom operators when it comes to this move toward, towards NFV and SDN and virtualization?
1: Sure, absolutely. So I think if you take a step backwards and you look at NFV and its genesis and where it started, so for the operators, this is probably the largest business transformation effort that they're ever going to embark upon. And for us at ProSera, you know, we are, our contribution in the NFV space is we're a virtualized network function. So, yep. traditionally, they've deployed their tech, that technology as big iron hardware, but in the future, they want to have that as a discrete piece of software that's deployed in an automated fashion inside of their infrastructure. But that's a real journey for the operators, right? Because traditionally, they were buying that in hardware. They're going to start dipping their toe in the water and deploying that as software, and then tomorrow, they'll reach this panacea state of fully orchestrated NFE that, you know, maybe three to five years down the road. So for us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take a thoughtful approach to, uh, to exploring NFE with our customers. Mm-hmm. And it starts with a couple of promises that we make. So first, we wanna be able to say to our customers, we recognize that this is a transformational journey for you. And so what we wanna be able to do is we want to offer you solutions that fit your needs regardless of where you're at in that mm-hmm. transformation path. So it mm-hmm. might be in the form of hardware, It might be in the form of standalone software or fully virtualized network function down the road. And the promise has to be fulfilled by being able to allow us to deliver a product that has the same feature and performance characteristics regardless of how it's deployed. Mm -hmm. So if you were to look at probably our efforts over the last couple of years in NFV and what we've focused on, it's really been around addressing those issues that are the challenges associated with transformation. Mm In our space, we're a data plane product, right? So for us, it's all about being able to provide high performance, line rate, speed of our technology as it's delivered to your pro- your customer, and regardless of whether that's in software or hardware. Mm-hmm. And we have several initiatives that are underway. You probably saw an announcement that we made in the spring of this last year Where we were able to deploy our full stack of dpi functionality in a cot server at about 155 gigabits per second effectively line rate so that was us helping to solve a problem but more of a technology problem now the second part of it for us is that we've not only have to be able to deliver our solutions to our customers with feature and performance parity, but we have to be an active participant in the NFV ecosystem because we're not gonna be a standalone product. We're gonna have to be able to integrate with all of the virtualization group that lives below us and all of the other uh, virtualized network functions that are gonna live around us as well as all of the orchestration layer. And so we've spent quite a bit of time active within the Etsy NFV ISG working group in both understanding the architectural requirements and building the architectural features into our product so that we have parity with what Etsy wants us to do as Mm -hmm. a part of that NFV evolution. So that means not only do you deliver your product in the form factor of software, but you have to have a VNF manager to hook into your VIM and your orchestration layer, and you've got to have an element management tool that hooks into those layers as well. Mm -hmm. So we've been very active in that space. So you, you originally asked the question of what are the biggest challenges for the operator? And I think that those challenges probably fall into a few categories and Mm -hmm. I would use three as an example and I think there are many more, but these are three that probably come to life at least top of mind in our discussions with our customers. So for many of them, they started this journey with this notion that they were going to be able to get you know some exorbitant capex and opex savings associated with driving down their operational expenses and capital expenses and then there was this nebulous thing called service agility and so they looked at it and said these are all great what they found is that in many cases the real win comes in the form of being able to create a fully orchestrated infrastructure that is truly agile Mm -hmm. bring up construct and destroy a service in a very short time frame that allows you to be very nimble in offering new services, either to discrete market segments, different customer segments, or perhaps just for the purpose of trialing and then killing those services if they don't make sense. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the challenges for the operators is being able to genuinely test out the ROI around that transformation. Yep. And I'll be frank, it's been really difficult for many of them. Yeah. Now, we found that there are a couple of use cases that lend themselves better toward ROI modeling than others. I'll give you an example, right? If you're in the fixed space, probably one of the top of mind uh, NFV solutions that you're interested in or use cases would be virtualization of your CPE footprint. Mm-hmm. Typically, be able to take the existing array of boxes that set either at your consumer or your enterprise edge that offer a set of services and either draw those back into a compute utility and deliver them as a service or drop those down into a single one use server that's maybe provided by Dell or somebody else mm-hmm. as a set of hypervisor driven applications. And so, in those solutions, we found that our customers actually have the ability to get some pretty rich information on what their ROI metrics are. Mm-hmm. And one of our customers, you probably heard we announced last year, Boingo Wireless, yep. that selected our technology as a part of their virtual CPE footprint. And they actually learned a lot about how they could uh, not only transform their business, mm-hmm. but how they could really change the entire life cycle of delivering services and modifying and changing those services to their customers. So I think that the first challenge, which is in understanding the true return on investment in NFB, I think you're going to find it's going to shake itself out through some of these earlier, easy to model use cases, some are gonna be much more nebulous and they're gonna be more difficult to attack down the road. Now, I think if I were to categorize the second challenge that the operators face, it's really around being able to have guaranteed delivery of a service Mm -hmm. as you migrate from all of these hardware-bound appliances and network functions into these software-based functions. And what we're finding is that there are some vendors, who are much further ahead in that race, and some vendors who are much further behind in that race. And the challenge for the operator is that when they build a service, they have to construct that service of all of these network functions. And so they need to rely on a set of performance and capability parity across their entire service delivery chain. And so I think in many cases for the operators, it's frustrating if you have three out of four of your network functions that you know need to be a part of a critical service you're going to deliver, but the fourth, is not able to reach either the performance or feature level that you need right now. So yeah. it's created a bit of what I would call the, the technology maturity gap for them. And so I think that's, that's probably uh, an area where the operators are sort of waiting patiently for us, the vendor community, to catch up.
0: Sure, and that's a good point. I mean, obviously that kind of ties into, and I, I I'll get to the third one too for, for you, uh, you know, the big challenges, but I think it tied a lot with kind of this need for carrier-grade equipment, for operators to become really confident in deploying this move towards virtualization. Because like you said, initially, this is a transformational change to these operators. I mean, they're moving from this hardware-based uh, platform that they're used to that's worked for them for 30, 40, 50 years, and that has worked pretty reliably for them, moving to this new world of virtualization, which for a lot of these guys, it's, like you said, it's a, it's a whole new world and they have to rely and trust that the equipment that they're putting in there is actually gonna work and be scalable to a telecom environment which is obviously different from a lot of uh, data center or other type of environments so that seems like that's yes. that's a huge part of this is just getting people just to be comfortable with with this move
1: so that you know that's actually a very interesting conversation as a matter of fact that that is almost a religious conversation <laughs> in that you have some people you know so so it's really what you're getting into is the discussion between open source and commercialized solutions that are deliverable as a part of your infrastructure right mm-hmm. and so you, what we find is that in many of our customer proof of concepts or early trials they will lean heavily toward open source why because it's easy to implement there's no cost associated with it and you know frankly it gives them an opportunity to test the waters and see if open source will be reliable as a part of their delivery infrastructure mm-hmm. but what we're finding is that as they make that move from proof of concept into production environments they want a throat to choke they need to have, <laughs> they can rely on. Sorry, that's just the I way. it is, you're right, you're right. And so you see moves, in my opinion, we're starting to see positive signs that are an indicator of where that conversation is going. Initially, it was, you know, open source versus commercial. Then open source won the war because everyone said, you know, it's cheap, it's free, so we can deploy it. And then they went through deployment cycles and they realized, hey, you know, in some cases, OpenStack really isn't as easy to deploy as you really <laughs> would, right? And so now we're starting to see discrete moves made by combinations of vendors and the, operating, the operator community to solve that. So as an example, one of those moves that we've seen in the last year around creating a standardized reference platform is the OPNFE initiative. Mm -hmm. It's driven by a combination of Red Hat, Intel, and a litany of other, I think AT&T was one of the driving impetus behind it, as well as a litany of other vendors that are involved in that that's really driving toward creating a standardized reference platform that your virtualized network infrastructure can run on top of that. And that's, that's goodness, right? The second part that we're starting to see are people are making investments in the hardening of the open source technologies. Mm-hmm. So Red Hat with hardening of Linux. And now you probably saw within the last few weeks, Intel just made a large investment in Mirantis, which is yep. basically hardened OpenStack. So what we're starting to see our customers being able to take advantage of the flexibility of all of that open source development community that built those great technologies, but being able to have them delivered in a commercialized fashion mm-hmm. so that the operator now has that high degree of confidence that this solution is deliverable and supportable as a part of their infrastructure.
0: Got it. No, no, but obviously, this, has, this all has to work though, kind of under a framework of like whether it's Etsy or some sort of uh, perhaps standards framework because that still seems to be key to this. Is like you mentioned earlier. I mean, it, I mean, you're, you're operating in, in, a, in an environment where you're going to be operating with a lot of different vendors, uh, different platforms, different DNS. I mean, everything has to kind of at the end of the day work together. And yes. so and I know operators been talking to them. I mean, they're still concerned that you know that they don't have some sort of control at the end of the day that it, that the confidence to know that everything's going to work. So it still seems like you're still working, you know, with these different platforms. But at the end of the day, there has to be kind of a an agreement between everybody that hey. You know this is how we're going to make this work together or otherwise this all falls apart that still seems to be kind of uh being worked through as well
1: yes absolutely and i think and i think for the operators the, there's there's a, a a mental shift that's occurring as well yeah. in that i think that if you if you really go back to the premise behind uh, the nfp movement i think you know everyone saw it as an opportunity to try to drive down cost and create operational efficiency but, really, for many of the operators, it was an exercise in being able to wrestle control away from their dominant vendors uh-huh. and give them control of their infrastructure again. And that's a great you know that's a a great um, thing to aspire to. And in the early phases of their proof of concepts, what they found is that if you deconstruct your entire network, Into now all of these little virtual network functions that are going to be orchestrated, then all of a sudden you, the operator, begin to take on a large burden associated with the integration (laughs) of those elements. And I think what they're now starting to find is that, wow, that's really not a task that I'm staffed to be able to support at the scale of my infrastructure. And so I think what you're seeing there is you're seeing the evolution of a, a couple of what I would call integration capabilities. The first is that you're starting to see some of the operators actually invest in integration arms Mm -hmm. that create and deliver services that are partially owned by the operator and deliver services to that operator, those integration arms then turn into a, a litany of expertise around integration of an NFV infrastructure that could be commercialized across the broader community. And I think the second part is you're finally seeing a lot of the systems integrators go beyond just the The rhetoric of I'm going to participate in NFV and actually getting into building practices and solutions that can be delivered to customers. So I think you're seeing a bit of skating to the puck occurring in the in the integrator space. But I think that, you know, that was driven by the fact that for the operators, you know, I wanted to unbundle my network. But the minute I did that there's you know now there is some pain and suffering associated with the integration of it And I need that integration expertise and unfortunately that expertise didn't come from the traditional IT integrators Because it's a different discipline as you're evolving my packet core and not my data center
0: Yeah, great point point. and obviously the hockey reference is always good too. We appreciate those on the show here <laughs> but, uh, that's always, but yeah, no. But, but you're right obviously the big challenges and obviously it does seem like some of the operators who have been Maybe at the forefront at least vocally or, or, or commercially, you know whether it's at or Telefonica it uh, does seem like those operators perhaps are kind of taking what you're saying. They're kind of taking some of, that, uh, some of that, um, uh, the requirements there and, and some of the leadership when it comes to uh, really kind of driving, at least internally for now, but perhaps later kind of expanding that around to the whole industry, uh, kind of some of this leadership role in terms of uh, developing the, the standards that are needed for this as well, too. So it seems like it's happening quite a bit with those bigger, those bigger operators. So uh, yes. big, big moves there. So but now getting back to your kind of the original conversation there, I mean, obviously you touched on the ROA model. ROI model, which is always a big challenge. Uh, some of the technology challenges are, I, you know, maybe what's your, I guess, what's your third biggest challenge you think you see maybe when it comes to this move towards uh, towards NFE for telecom operators?
1: Sure, absolutely. And I think I'd probably save the best for last. So so I, if, if I were to look at the state of the union of NFE and say, you know, where does it sit right now? Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, obviously, Telefonica and AT&T are the bellwethers in the industry. They have the largest, farther, farthest reaching initiatives in in driving the industry forward. And they're really creating a pull effect, if you will, yeah. for a large portion of the operator community. That doesn't take anything away from the other operators who are investing in you know either multiple or point use cases that they're driving toward or segments of their network. But they're really pulling that industry forward. I think that through Etsy, the industry has coalesced in a way that frankly surprised me because typically when you're working with a standards body, there's an opportunity for you to get drug into the minutia and nothing come out of <laughs> it. And I actually think Etsy did a really good job in kind of driving that. And, and I think that's a testament to the hard handedness that the operators used in forcing the vendors to work together. So goodness came out of that. I think we're starting to resolve the reference platforms around uh, what we're gonna run our network infrastructure on in the future. We're starting to see some of the commercialization of these open source tools that are gonna make it easier and more reliable for the operators. But if you think about the promise of NFV, it's the ability to have this infrastructure that is dynamic, that is orchestratable, that is genuinely automated in almost every aspect of its lifecycle. And that relies heavily on this notion of orchestration and i actually think that if i were to look at the biggest challenge the operators face today in making that transformation not from hardware to software but from hardware to software to to nfv it's around orchestration i think that the the uh, The standards for how orchestration will connect into the virtualized network functions is still loose. Mm -hmm. I think that there are nascent nascent initiatives that are underway within the operators themselves to try to drive some of those standards, but Mm -hmm. they're still somewhat loose. Uh, Along with that, the dominant um, NFV orchestration providers um, have not coalesced around a single standard for how that connectivity occurs. So as a VNF provider, I find myself in this never-ending conversation, depending upon which orchestrator I'm talking to. Am I using heat, uh, you know, open stack heat templates or am I using a, uh, some type of a uh, templated scripted methodology? Am I writing recipes? What am I doing? And, and actually, we find ourselves in many cases, almost every Etsy POC that we're involved in that involves an orchestrator, it's a standalone professional services engagement mm-hmm. because you're effectively having to create connectivity from the ground up. Now it's great for being able to demonstrate the concept to your customers. And I think it demonstrates the viability of NFV as an architectural strategy for the mm-hmm. operators. But if you, if you reach Nirvana as an operator, you're gonna have not one, but multiple orchestrators and not one vendor, but multiple vendors that are your network functions. And in order for that genuinely to operate, orchestration has to become standardized. And I think that's probably our biggest hurdle that we face today. And the interesting part is, I don't see anybody that's really stepping up to say, I'm going to address this challenge right now. I'm seeing pockets, and I think you've seen a level of, um, I would say, a level of um, um, interest that's high enough within the operators that in many cases, some of them are starting to build their own orchestrators.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I mean, that's a good question because, I mean, how far along are we in this move towards kind of this, this standardization of the orchestration layer because that has been a big part of I mean, I've talked to a lot of operators and vendors, and you guys, including. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, this seems to be a big concern. I mean, there's a lot of work being done. Like you said, the POCs are all working pretty well. But, again, those are kind of, you know, a few vendors working together, which, which is important because, like you said, that it does show that the concepts work. But in a commercial deployment, again, there are going to be various people working, various orchestrators, and if, mm-hmm. if those things don't work together, uh, you know, this all falls apart again, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, I mean, are we, it, it does sound like we're, we're still a ways away from getting that part in place and that seems to be a pretty significant part of this puzzle. I mean, if you don't get that part in place, uh, a lot of this stuff just can't work. I mean, operators again are going to be using a lot of legacy equipment, new equipment, so they need orchestrators on, on the equipment level, they need stuff on the service level. I mean, they need this stuff to really uh, be in place. Uh, are we still years away from getting that uh, that worked through that 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 we can then move up, move past this, or is that something that's going to always going to be there and will just have to be kind of handled like on a case by case basis?
1: So I think it's going to be a case of intersecting lines, and mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is I think that um, as a virtualized network function provider, it is painful to have to go through standalone integration with every orchestrator that you're dealing with. But I have to step back away from that individual pain and recognize that for the operators, the transformation to full NFE, Right. It's probably not going to happen for a few years anyway. Sure. They're going to take segments of their network or probably discrete network functions and they're going to deploy those in software and they're going to learn from it and they're going to use it as a chance to do modeling, capacity modeling. They're going to probably test pilot implementations of orchestration platforms to determine best in class or be- best of breed and that may be completely based on network segmentation or what type of service that they offer to their customers. And eventually you'll end up with, you know, a list of orchestrators that are going to be a uh, value to any operator. So I think that the, it will solve itself as an industry problem because the operators are committed enough now to NFB that they won't let it not happen. So mm-hmm. they'll push it. But I think that right now we're still early in the days of the incumbent network equipment providers pushing back on okay. a standard and pushing forward on my model. Right? Because if you think about it, it's the new battleground for the network providers. Originally, it was end-to-end technology, and now that that's going to be completely commoditized and run as a function on COT server technology, and then what's the new battleground for lock-in? it's at the orchestration layer. And so I think for many of them, they see it as their opportunity to be able to continue to hold. And I think for the operators, it's going to take a while for them to wrestle that away, but I have faith that they'll do it because I think that for the operators, they've realized that NFV is valuable enough to them that they have to make that transformation. And I think what will happen is, is if the network equipment providers don't begin to embrace some type of a standard, then you'll see many of the leading operators themselves probably create their own orchestration systems. Most of those orchestration systems are based on open source technology, mm-hmm. and those same network equipment vendors could find themselves competing with an open source orchestrator down the road. And so it's just this it's cycle that's gonna play itself out over time. If you look at it through our lens, it's a little bit frustrating, but if you look at it at a holistic level, I think it's yeah. gonna solve itself, but it is a challenge right now.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because it does seem like you're right. I mean, it does seem like the operators I know, at t for instance, with its domain program, yep. really brought in a lot of new players into the space uh, who were looking to open source, who were looking to do something different. And a lot of those initial agreements didn't include the traditional big vendors as part of that. That's and, right. To really be a, a wake up call to those guys, and so it does seem like over the past 12 to 18 months, uh, the traditional vendors have really uh, kind of uh, changed their at least at least you know com- or at least publicly kind of what they're trying to do. Uh, be more open towards uh, software, even though it does kind of go, go, go against their traditional business models. Uh, but you're right, it does seem like it's kind of a, a game being played or a dance uh, being orchestrated where how are you going to make this all work. But you're right, at the end of the day, the vendors, you know, obviously they want to try to keep those big contracts and do what they can uh, to stay involved with these operators. But uh, it, yeah, there's it kind of a little bit of a battle right now between those guys. It's interesting to watch how that's playing out.
1: Yeah, it's very dynamic.
0: Yeah. Very interesting to watch that, how that moves. But uh, well, again, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, uh, that, that orchestration part of it is probably, like you said, probably the biggest challenge going forward uh, with this. And obviously, you know, you, you touched on the ROI model. That's a big part. I know a couple of weeks ago, I talked with an analyst here, and that was a big part he brought up was the, the ROI factor. This is huge too, because you know, like you said, operators initially went into this hoping to save a bunch of money. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's probably more of a service agility part that you really see kind of that, that return on investment maybe down the line as opposed to up front. So uh, a lot of big challenges there when it comes to how this is all going to play out. But it sounds like you guys are definitely in the middle of this, and um, obviously staying very busy with this with, with what's happening as well, in in the process too.
1: Yes, we have, absolutely are, and and it is. You're right. If you look at the ROI modeling process today, I mean, I think it's a challenge because um, the operator and and even ourselves as a vendor, we would love to be able to say, here's a model, apply this, and you'll be able to determine what your expected savings for both capital and operating expenditures are going to be over yeah. you know x number of years. The challenge is, is it's so reliant on What is your buying relationship with the CODs platforms? What does your network infrastructure look like today? And what is it going to look like when it transforms? What does that mean in terms of technology? What network functions you're going to use? And I think that it becomes so individual that it's really difficult to apply
0: uh,
1: a holistic ROI model to anything other than some of the simpler use cases.
0: Yeah, interesting. I, I guess, has the, has the vendor community done a good enough job in, um, I guess, getting that message across that perhaps, you know, this won't be an a, a initial savings for, your, for the operator, that it, it'll be something that maybe maybe down the road more? I mean, because it does seem like at the end of the day, you know, you've got to get these, uh, these financial guys to kind of sign off on these agreements. Um, they want to see, you know, that, that, that this makes sense for them financially. Um, I, I guess, has the vendor community done a good enough job in making sure that that part is being, uh, I guess, uh, communicated to to these, to these operators? I think they, so I think
1: the operators recognize the maturity of the situation. And then I think that, so uh, if I go back 18 months ago, in my partner ecosystem, the majority of the conversations were around, hey, let's build a use case solution. Let's put it up in front of our customers and let's build an ROI modeling tool with it. And what we found was relatively quickly, that kind of deconstructed. And the reason was, is that you couldn't get hard metrics around an ROI model. And even if you built one, then your customer's going to look at you and go, well, that's great, but these 100 things are different in my particular (laughs) implementation. So your model didn't apply. I think the operators began to realize that, yes, there is going to be capital and operational expenditure savings. And, and we will learn what those are probably as we go through the first exercise of just virtualizing network functions. We'll begin to learn how efficient the servers are, mm-hmm. how efficient the applications are, so we can start to learn what the CapEx model will look like from hardware to software, that transformation. And I think the second part is they began to, uh, they began to realize that the bigger draw of NFV is not just in the capital expenditure and operational expenditure reduction. It's in being nimble. And it's in being able to take your service delivery lifecycle from 9 to 18 months down to a matter of days and weeks. Gotcha. For the operators, that allows you to turn on a dime based on what your customers are doing behaviorally. And that becomes very powerful for them.
0: Yeah, interesting. interesting. Well, I guess to wrap up the conversation a little bit here. You know, as we look ahead a little bit, I and mean, obviously it seems like 2015 has been a big year for POCs, uh, for a lot of standards work, uh, going involved with virtualization. You know, I guess as you look towards maybe 2016, I mean, what do you see as being perhaps the next, uh, the next big leap in terms of this movement towards towards uh, virtualization platforms?
1: So, I think in 2016, you're going to see a couple of things. I think first of all, you're going to see many of the operators take either simple use cases or just network functions and begin to go from proof of concept into production. Okay. And so, we're already starting to see with some of our larger customers they've made active decisions that I'll no longer buy hardware from you, ProSera. I'll buy software. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not making holistic decisions, uh, but they're making discrete decisions. So mm-hmm. they say, I'm going to take a segment of my implementation and going forward, I'm going to buy your virtualized product. And I'm going to roll that out within my infrastructure. I think over the next 18 months, what we're going to start to see is this simple transformation from hardware to software in a standalone, discrete fashion. And I think you're gonna start to see that across several different planes, but not only the data plane solutions such as ourselves, but control plane applications. And frankly, the control plane applications were already starting to bleed over to software anyway, way before us, because it's simpler to be able to deploy. I think the second thing that you're gonna start to see is you're gonna start to see the operators begin to test out um, end-to-end use cases. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the Etsy POCs that they've had um, for the most part with the exception of a few, most of them have been what I would consider be, to be technology centric POCs. they mm-hmm. can I make these widgets talk to each other and can I create a, you know, a, a widget service chain, if you will. But that's not a, solving a business problem, right? And so I think what you're going to see is the POCs are going to begin to evolve from technology to business centric POCs. And you're going to see deployment of standalone virtualized software network functions within production environments, and I think that's what we'll see in 2016.
0: Got it. Got it. Very interesting. I, I mean, and obviously, too, it does seem like there's still a need to kind of rein in perhaps some of these wild, uh, you know, guesses of what's going to happen. I mean, obviously, people were expecting 2015 to be a big year, and perhaps it'd be a commercial deployments and everything. And here, we are, you know, we're already in September now, and uh, obviously, we're still kind of waiting for something to happen. So it also seems like there's a bit of. Uh, perhaps draining in some of these uh, crazy expectations as well. I'm sure going next year, that's going to be a bit of a challenge to make sure we're still on the same page uh, when it comes to what they expect from, from virtualization too.
1: Yeah, and I think some. I think you're having to go through the assimilation of who's going to be the first one to jump in the pool. Exactly. And so you're going to have a few, you know, they're all kind of standing at the edge right now. And I think somebody eventually is going to jump in the pool. We're already seeing our customers do it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, once a few, uh, take that plunge, then I think you're going to start to see that happen, and I think what that will do is that will begin to force pressure on the community to address the orchestration issue as well. And I think that's what will that's what we'll probably see heat back up in the second half of 2016 is this emphasis on how are we going, how are we going to create steady state with orchestration within the community? Otherwise, we've just got a bunch of standalone software sitting out there.
0: Yeah, great insight there. Well, that sounds good. Hey, Mike, we definitely appreciate the great insight on that, on the topic there. Obviously, uh, a lot of challenges still ahead for NFV. Obviously, the, the orchestration part that you mentioned, I know it's something we've been covering here. And, and it does seem like from the people I've talked to, that's still like, like kind of what you're saying, we're still at the very tip of the iceberg with this because yep. a lot of challenges ahead for that, too. So that'll be interesting to watch how that plays out. But uh, we definitely appreciate the great insight on that today. Thanks so much for the time today, Mike. We appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Great. And uh, thanks again for watching this week's NFV SD Reality Check. And make sure to check us out again next week. NFVSDN Reality Check with Dan Meyer is a production of RCR TV. To suggest show topics or to reach Dan, you can
1: find him on email dmeyer at rcrwireless.com and on Twitter at meyer underscore Dan. For more Dan news on NFVSDN and everything wireless, find your way over to rcrwireless.com.